1: What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And, Pat, we can't help but get right into it on this episode. As you're listening Thursday morning, Pat and I are recording an instant game reaction to Villanova's really strong 70-59 to win over the University of Pennsylvania at the Fennerin Pavilion, first time that they've been home in over three weeks. And Pat, to me, as we literally do get right into it, this was a game of bests so far this season. It was Camp Whitmore's best performance and Kyle Neptune's best Villanova head coaching game so far this season. I'm really pumped to to really get into it here.
0: It, it was an important win for Villanova. We we discussed how key it was for them to start to get on a roll here as we go into a little bit softer part of the schedule before getting into Big East play and facing off against St. John's, who by the way blew DePaul out of the gym tonight. So watch out for the Johnnies. That game is going to come up very quick. I I think it was important they got the they got the job done. I don't think they played great. I really don't. I have some gripes with the performance, but. I think Cam Whitmore's performance overshadows a lot of that for Nova Nation. Yeah, right now.
1: definitely. Definitely. All right. So I guess I'm a lot more positive than you. I think we'll start on the positive. Oh, what's what's new
0: there? <laughs> <laughs> you can always keep me on the negative side.
1: 2-0 in the Whitmore era, a two-game winning streak for Nova. Of course, it's against Penn. And if you listened to, if you purely turned on this game and nobody... Actually, probably did that at all because it's on CBS Sports Network, so (laughs) nobody has that. But if you were to listen to just Jay Wright and Steve Lapis talk about the University of Pennsylvania, you might think that this was a clash between two of the top five teams in the country, given the amount of credit that Jay and Lapis were giving but that aside they're always like that about big, about big five basketball. Exactly.
0: Especially Jay Wright, he mentioned it a couple times how much he loves Philadelphia basketball, oh big God. five basketball. Yeah. The Palestra got their plugs very <laughs> very much up Jay Wright's alley for what we're used to over the last 20 years.
1: For this to be his his broadcasting debut for sure. So yeah, it's not 70 to 59 is certainly not the uh the dominant blowout that we had hoped then that Matt Villanova still hasn't had this season, but actually just Looking at this now, you and I both thought it would be a 12-point win, and it was an 11-point win. So that's pretty cool.
0: I'm just going to throw out there that I predicted 72 to 60 for Villanova wow. to win that game, and I predicted Cam Whitmore would have 25 minutes, and he played 24. So I'm going to give myself nice. a little pat on the back there, uh, going What's into this game. You? It's it's Big Five. As as much as we'd like to see Villanova really get into a groove a I don't think Villanova thus far has proven this year they can get into that groove mm-hmm. to really put teams away and say win one by 20 and Penn while they have Jordan Dingle who we all saw tonight and is an absolute star on the offensive side uh, they certainly have some issues especially defensively and especially holding on to the basketball that uh, kind of limited their chance to, to really take this thing over
1: yeah and I think we both have to uh, apologize for our horrible mispronunciation of slackert Who missed this game due to a knee injury.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll send my apologies there as well.
1: (laughs) Penn was definitely playing hurt, but as much as it would have been nice to see that double scoring threat and seeing how the Nova defense would step up, it was nice to see Villanova play and limit Dingle in the first half because that's where Mm -hmm. I wanted to start there. This was a good defensive performance from Villanova, at least in the first half. Jordan Dingle is one of the highest scoring guards in the country, and they limited him to two points and zero made field goals. That is an incredibly inf- impressive feat, especially considering that he scored, what, 25 in the second half? Yep.
0: Yeah, it was really impressive. And, and what it was here, too, was first off, Dingle shots just weren't falling. I'm not sure Villanova did a fantastic chance at limiting his opportunities. He just wasn't able mm-hmm. to, to get into a groove there. But he at least had a secondary option in Marks that was able to knock down some shots and really back down in the post and cause Villanova some issues, especially with Eric Dixon missing, you know, most of this game in all honesty, but especially in the first half. But we know with Penn, the key is to keep Dingle in check. And they absolutely did that in the first half, holding him to two points. The issue was he completely exploded in the second, no matter what Villanova did, though with that said. I do think it was one of the better first half performances from Villanova. Now we don't even have the Kempom numbers to be able to fully quote it yet, but it was still an incredibly slow start on offense as Villanova Mm -hmm. has done every single game thus far this year. I believe they had about 12 points again through 12 minutes or so, but they finished with 36, which is really key for a team that has struggled to find a sort of offensive groove and while doing so, also keeping Penn under thirty at twenty six, I take that for a first half. Again, I, I don't think it was the cleanest basketball we've ever seen, but they really rode that, and that was, of course, a key part of why they win. Why they won, excuse me, because the second half was so much closer.
1: Yeah, and this slow start scared me also because they settled for too many bad threes, which is definitely mm-hmm. not something new.
0: You know where I'm going with that.
1: (laughs) Penn missed so many bunnies. You were talking about Dingle getting a lot of opportunities, just not making them. Penn did not play well offensively in this game. I'm worried that better offensive teams would just leave Villanova in the dust if they're going to play that poorly on defense that early. And then also not be able to make up any sort of traction offensively because they missed so many shots. So they were able to adjust. I also think this is their best adjustment game so far this season, offensively and defensively, schematically wise. But yeah, the first 10 minutes of this game, of this Villanova team, is not something anybody wants to see. It is a horrible weakness for them. Mm -hmm. And it's just whether the other team takes advantage or not.
0: Yeah, and I, I... I I should clarify too. It was the best end to a first half we've seen from Villanova. I don't want to call it the best first half because to your point, the first 10 minutes were, were disastrous in all honesty. They, as you said, they settled for way too many threes. I think defensively, you know, the the effort and intensity really wasn't there, even though Dingle wasn't able to get in any sort of a groove. You're allowing other guys that really haven't played that much of a starring role for Penn to, to hurt you offensively. And Penn had a chance to really build up a lead. They just couldn't because the Quakers can't make layups, apparently, as we learned on today. They, they missed so many right around the basket, which really came back to bite them late on. And then where Villanova really keyed in on and where Penn, in all honesty, gave this game away, I, I kind of mentioned it, the turnovers were a disaster. For Pennsylvania, they turned the ball over 14 times and Villanova really made them pay. I I don't have the the firm number for points off turnovers because, again, we're recording this right after the game. So not much is out there. But I know that Nova really uh, did get to the basket after turning Penn over. So that was super, super key here. And it's important because it was Villanova being opportunistic and really taking advantage of a team that did not put them to the sword when they had the chance and continued to let Nova in with those turnovers. But it was also just a poor performance from Penn for, for some long stretches.
1: Yeah, you. we wish that it could just be one way. We wish that yep. it was just all on Villanova to force turnovers. I'd love to it say in the preview it. I'd love episode. to. Yeah. <laughs> Penn turns the ball over at one of the highest rates in the country. And it was 14 points off turnovers in the first Thank half. Thank you. That's there at you least one number I had written down. And honestly, that was maybe the number because they didn't do much of it in the second half. But to Nova's credit, they, they were opportunistic in mm-hmm. that realm. They were able to press on the forced turnovers because they knew Penn would do that and scoring in transition. And that's something we've talked about ad nauseum. That's not Villanova's strengths, but they were able to adjust and make that a strength so that they can pu- they could start putting some distance in between them and Penn. I mean, there was a the point where Villanova went on a 13-2 to run. They went on a 13-0 to run. They were really putting some distance between the team and Penn without Dingle Literally, could not buy a bucket.
0: No, no that that offense isn't really built to to run without Dingle running the sl- the show and without Slotchard as well to be able to give them another uh, guy that can really hurt teams from deep. It was always going to be a, a bit of a, a tall task here for Penn. Uh, I do want to give credit to Villanova's three point defense. They held Penn to mm. just six made threes and twenty six percent. We know that three point defense has been pretty poor, you know through through most of the season, but it it was good. Uh, around the perimeter and i think a lot of that was dingle was not left open very often he had to try and force shots up and you know what when you're a player as skilled as him sometimes you knock him down and he most certainly did but otherwise i don't think there was a ton of space left um to pen shooters out there and and because of that nova was able to have a pretty stifling performance on defense which as we said is just not anything we've seen this year. Nova allowing about 37% from beyond the arc uh, front, uh, on de- on defense. But in this game, Penn, as I said, just shot 26. So that that's a huge improvement for a team that has been burned by getting hurt from teams, bombing them from deep.
1: Yeah, I mean, Penn missed a, an inordinate amount of open threes, but mm. I like your your positivity there. I'll give and you a little positivity. Stifling was the perfect word because... Mark Armstrong and Jordan Longino playing defense on Jordan Dingle used the stifling face guard approach. They did not let him touch the ball in the first half, and that was one of the reasons why Dingle went off in the second because they stopped doing that, and they let Penn shoot, and they couldn't. So I thought it was a nice way to start off that game to really bring that pressure defensively. And we mentioned Dixon. I think this was the story of the game. Villanova won this game without Dixon pretty mm-hmm. much. He did. He sat for most of the first half. Got that third foul early in the second half and didn't come back in until the game was already pretty much sealed up, unless Penn pulled something really crazy. They were able to be lethal from beyond the arc in the first half. And then they were able to switch that to down low in the second half. But we we have to talk about this offense here because it was pretty remarkable to see. So Villanova finished 10 for 21 from the three or 10 for 30 from the three point line. They were 10 for 21. From the three point line after the first half, they finally made some of those shots. Yes, I will say it myself and cry it to the mountains. It's way too many threes to take in one half, probably even one game, but they made some and then they were able to adjust really well in the second half when they knew that Penn was in foul trouble and start getting to the line, which is another one of their strengths.
0: It still scares me the amount of three point attempts. It's too many. It's it's, way too many. It just I'm gonna I will sing it from the rooftops. It does not fit this team's personnel. Uh, They shot 17 against Oklahoma, and as you said, they shot 20 or 21 uh, in the first half, which is just too many for it. I I need to see them get to the basket more. I understand that philosophy can certainly change when Eric Dixon picks up very fast fouls, which. As you said, Eric Dixon, you know, still found a way to score 12 points, was incredibly efficient on four of seven shooting. makes such an impact when he's in the game. His weakness, if we point to it, is that he can still pick up really tacky fouls. And he did so Uh on all three of his fouls. I think all of them were outside of the paint around the three-point line, just fouls that for a player that is so key to how Villanova operates on offense, that can't happen, especially as we move into Big East play. They cannot afford for Eric Dixon to be sitting on the bench for very large portions of games. We saw it happen against Temple, and that's really where the demise came from was that Dixon missed so much time. Now, it wasn't the case here against Penn because there's a man named Cam Whitmore that can come into the game and score 21 points off the bench and really pick up some of that offensive slack. But that is concerning for me if we see that trend kind of continue to develop there. As we said, I I think that did probably affect the three-point shooting, that they felt they needed to be more around the perimeter. I just... I don't feel comfortable with the Villanova team that's taking that many threes with when they're not. They still only shot 33%. That's right around their season average. I think they're at 32.
1: No, you're right. It wasn't any crazy high number, and they went 0 for 9 from the second half in the second half. Just to go quickly on that Dixon point, too, to give the defense credit and the offense, they did well in Dixon's absence because Penn couldn't handle their small ball.
0: No, small ball worked.
1: That was what forced Penn into making all those turnovers. There was that stretch in the first half where it just felt like every single possession, the defense was getting a hand on the ball and turning it into points on the other end. I'm just not as confident that the other, that teams in the Big East will be as stunned and powerless against Villanova's small (laughs) ball lineup as Penn was tonight.
0: (laughs) I liked the small ball. I did. To your point, I'm not sure. I would just switch out Brandon Slater for Eric Dixon, probably. Mm -hmm. when We go into Big East play to still have Dixon, who's, you know, of course, not the prototypical center, but we know at least has a little bit more of a rebounding presence and even can step out and shoot the three. But I feel like this was the first time we really saw Neptune experiment with true small ball. I mean, at one point, Jay even called out like Kim Whitmore was basically playing the five there yeah. and the versatility seemed to work. A lot of the flow seemed to work. Now, Neptune did get a little experimental with lineups at, at different portions of the game. I know where it, the game really started to get close. It was Armstrong, Howes Whitmore, Patterson and Archie Diacono out there, which, of course, is a very, very um, seldom used five.
1: That's when you saw the the four guys waiting to clock in during free throws. That
0: is, Yes, that is when we basically had the hockey line shift um, (laughs) happen. I do respect, you know, the wanting to try new things because it's something that we haven't we hadn't seen all that often over the past couple of years. And as we did go with, I do think the small ball lineup in most instances worked that one was just a little rough, and I'd prefer to not see those five all out there on the floor at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and again. <laughs> I, I can't imagine
1: you would against any other team besides Penn or maybe BC or uh, St. Joe's in conference play. I can't imagine that, that that that's the starting five, but it was nice to see Trey get some minutes. I don't think it was anything spectacular, no. uh, which is kind of in on in, in par of what we've seen so far this season, but at least he got some run under his belt.
0: He did. Uh, a guy who didn't was Angelo Brizzy. What do you think about that?
1: I unfortunately think it's a start of a trend. Second straight game with no minutes for Brizzy. After generally impressing so far this season, which is a shame for him. I think if Whitmore and Moore were healthy to start the season, we maybe wouldn't have gotten Brizzy at all, Mm -hmm. which would have lessened the immediate absence of him now that just Whitmore is back. But I mean... It's more of a compliment to the other guy, more of an accomplishment to the other guys. Housen's shot cannot just sit on the bench dormant. And Armstrong's explosiveness and ability to facilitate also can't just sit on the bench. And Brizzy doesn't do either of those things as well as the two other guys do.
0: I don't see it as a slight on Angelo Brizzy that he hasn't no. go in there. I, I do think it is a sign of the evolution of this rotation and Cam Whitmore being back that you're not seeing him in there right now. I think it's pretty clear he still has some developmental things, especially you know physically working on. He's still most certainly learning the defensive system because we've seen some frailties there with where they are right now and Whitmore being back in, and as you said, Housing potentially developing more into that rotation? I'm okay with it. And, but I'm okay with it without having to say, Oh, Angelo Brizzy hasn't earned the right to be out there. Mm -hmm. It's just, we are seeing it from some other guys. And I think Neptune's trying to tighten up the rotation a little bit more and be with guys. He feels he can trust a little bit more on the defensive side as well. So I really don't have an issue with it. Uh, And I think for for him, uh, it's a goal to, in press and practice, see if he can find a way to scrap some minutes out wherever he can in these games, but otherwise continue on that developmental wise, both, both, um, you know, with his skills and learning the system as well as physically.
1: Yeah. And he's he's still only a redshirt freshman, so he's got a lot of time to develop under the players above him. Like, wow, playing defense against Kim, what more has to make you better? My only worry is that if Neptune sees any possibility of wanting slash needing to rely on Brizzy as a bench player down the stretch, sitting him for three, four, five games straight mm-hmm. probably isn't the best way to go about that.
0: Very so I fair. think
1: it's either got to be all in or all out. Or I mean, all in as in playing him for five minutes a game just to get his feet wet, because you don't want to sit him for that long and then expect him to come out against Creighton and log 10 good minutes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure you're gonna see that. So I would yeah. I would lean that I think we're gonna see some limited minutes from him. But they're they're you know, he's still got potential. We as we know from this Villanova team, that's what they harp is that if you show it in practice, they'll put you out there on the floor. Yeah. So and we saw Trey Patterson, you know, return to the floor after a couple games out. I think some of us wondered would we see him again for right. a while. So it, it is possible with these teams. Um, and you know, I, I I didn't look at it as something that's glaring with me.
1: No, I didn't either. And segwaying more into into kyle neptunes and i mentioned that i think this was his best coached game so far this season and it's because he's just he continues to show a willingness to take risks and we saw that at the beginning of the year in terms of rotation and he didn't have a quick leash that jay right definitely had especially defensively in years past and now i think it's turning into the adjustments he makes at half times and using his roster strengths his advantage so we talked about the threes surely way too many to take in a half but mm-hmm. a decent shot percentage in the second half Penn could not get a stop without fouling to save their life marks fouled do. out which was a huge loss for them at like the seven minute mark too so they dominated in the paint and when I say dominated in the paint you usually immediately think of Dixon it was Whitmore and Daniels and Slater down low who saw the weakness, went to the basket, drew a foul, and were able to make those shots. And if they can do that all season long, try and exploit the other team's weaknesses and get points out of it, then you're going to see improvement from this team offensively. And I think generally this game was an improvement offensively, despite maybe only an 11-point win against Penn.
0: Yeah, agreed with the second half game plan more offensively, uh, more so than we saw in the first half. I believe they made one two point field goal, and they might have had zero, oh, yeah. zero points in the paint. Paint, yeah, in the and first Pat, half. yeah,
1: it was a uh, deep Daniels two. Exactly, so it's it say, doesn't zero even really count. Yeah, no, no, no.
0: Um, and, and then they came out, and, and I believe they had eleven uh, in the second half there. So I, I felt a lot better about what I saw there attacking the rim. I think Caleb Daniels was a good sign of that. Um, you know, he, he took some contested threes as Caleb does. We know he can make it, but he showed again, more of that Villanova Caleb getting into the lane. I thought distribution wise, he was very strong, which is important for this team, especially as we see, you know, so the development more of a housing trying to find some shots. And of course, Cam Whitmore coming in here as well. But you talk about Kyle Neptune and some of the differences we see, especially on that quick hook. Well, Cam Whitmore goes into this game, and this is where things would be very different if Jay Wright was a head coach here. The first three possessions that Cam Whitmore is out there, he allows uh, a Penn player to blow by him on defense and then gets out rebounded twice for offensive boards. That happens with Jay Wright. Cam Whitmore's going straight back to the bench, and he's going to sit there for a little bit. Kyle Neptune did not pull him, and what happens Whitmore explodes and ends up, I believe he led the team in scoring in the first half. And of course we know he led the team in scoring to finish out this game. So it's little things like that, that are so different from a year ago. And for a team that is so different from a year ago, I, I find it refreshing to, you know, to let these guys learn a little bit, though. We still do see some of the warts, uh, like what happened when Whitmore first entered into that game, but he's got the talent to really turn it on and, and make up for it. And then some clearly.
1: You could just.
0: just go to com.
1: It's magical. Actually see him growing more comfortable with every single second he had on the floor. And you don't get to see that very often from, from basketball players. Jay was definitely holding his tongue a little bit. He made a few comments uh, about about how specifically. Yeah, about yes. freshman being out-rebounded because I happened to Armstrong a few times too. That's funny. But yeah, now it, it's full time to put the full spotlight on Whitmore we're going to talk about him for about five or six minutes straight
0: right
1: now. <laughs> it's funny because I noticed this a little bit in the Oklahoma game and at the beginning of this game, and I didn't mention it in the Oklahoma recap because I wanted to see how it developed, but it's about Whitmore's demeanor and he's definitely more lackadaisical than some of the Villanova guys that we're used to, like Brizzy taking a charge and then jumping up and yelling and Gillespie was known for that and Samuels and so forth. Whitmore doesn't seem like that guy so far, but I think at the end of this game, you could tell that that doesn't mean he tries any less. He is unbelievably, unbelievably physical with the ball and he's so talented that it doesn't even look like he's trying. I mean, we can go through every single monster layup and put back that he had, but I think the biggest takeaway for me was just how calm he is, how low of a heartbeat this guy must have to come in after not practicing and put up two straight, above, way above average performances and feel and have the fans feeling like this guy is the savior of the team as a freshman in Villanova's system
0: he looks that way because he's just so damn talented, right? Everything just looks so slow around him because he is in control and he is so gifted that he's able to, you know, make all this impact here. Uh, exactly. We saw it, especially physically, you know, the the putback dunk was uh, I, I think the word I, I used while I was watching it was absolutely disgusting. Uh, as I watched <laughs> that, I mean, think of the Villanova players that are able to pull that off, uh, you know, in, in recent years, what Brandon Slater, Eric Paschal, are are probably the two main ones that come to mind, but it's not exactly a very long list. Uh, I love the aggression you see from Whitmore when he is in the lane, you know, lower that shoulder, get that rebound and go up with it. There's a more decisiveness with him around the hoop than I think we've seen from many Nova players, uh, especially younger Nova players in the system where he knows that he's pretty damn good and he's going to go up with it because he feels good that he's going to score it. Now, I will be honest with you, I don't love all the pull-up three-point attempts that he no. takes. I get it. He can shoot three, and I'm sure there's going to be a game or two this year where he just goes off and drills seven threes in a game. I'm sure it's going to happen. But he is so physically imposing and so much bigger, stronger, and faster than a lot of guys out there on the floor. I want to see him get to the hoop like we saw with the reverse layup underneath the basket and kind of that sequence where Patterson kind of knocked the ball out to him. He just put his shoulder down and put the ball the right straight back up. That's what I want to see more of from Cam Whitmore on offense because it feels like it's going to lead to some pretty high percentage shots when he's the one taking them.
1: Also, not sure if anybody knows that Cam Whitmore is ambidextrous. They may have mentioned that one saw. or two times yeah. on the pot on the uh, on the broadcast. I'm a little tired of saying that about every single player on this roster, seemingly because they're all so physical and so gifted that I wish they all just drove to the basket every single time they had the ball. But anyways, Whitmore especially, the fact that he is ambidextrous gives him such an advantage because we've talked about how in the future it can become really easy for opposing teams to game plan against Slater and Dixon because they're so dominant on their left hand, on their strong hand. Whitmore doesn't have that. He's just as strong either way. So that just gives him such an advantage against his defender because A, they don't know which side he's going to go to. And B, has just, he's just as strong either way. So it's a strength both ways, which you cannot say about a lot of players.
0: The fact that he's 6'7", 230 probably factors into that as well. It also helps a little bit. And yeah, uh, It doesn't hurt. We'll, we'll go with I- that. I agree with you about the three point shooting. You
1: definitely, especially at the beginning, he did this at the beginning of the Oklahoma game Mm -hmm. too. I think he's just trying to get that first bucket out of the way. He's just too damn good driving (laughs) to the basket to settle for a bad three and waste the possession.
0: So I think you can live with it a little more with him because you just know how much talent he has and and knows that he can hit that shot where you say, all right, you know, some of those threes go up, probably not the best shot selection, but he's so good. He's so talented. I'm okay with it. You know, if it goes up, but i just think in a way to maximize efficiency would love to see him be a little more of a driver and take more open threes that are given to him rather than trying to uh, to force them up again i'm sure he'll hit plenty of them he's that good but just uh, just something to watch here especially as he develops as he gets more comfortable and as he really grows into the system and develops some chemistry with his teammates too cuz that's got to be a hard part where he's been so limited in practice he hasn't been out there in a way to probably understand all these guys' movement off the ball when, when he has it, and I expect that, of course, to only continue to grow as he has more time in the system.
1: Agree, and Oklahoma was his first game, so that's almost a wash. This game, they played the majority of it without Dixon, so that makes it kind of a wash. Hopefully, in the next few games before St. John's and conference play starts, they can really get grooving and figure out what this rotation is going to look like exactly A sub-point of that, Jordan Longino, I thought looked good again today coming off the bench or yesterday as you're listening to this. Something that surprised me, though, was how much credit Jay Wright gave Longino defensively. I mean, he was lauding Longino as the second-best defender on this team behind Justin Moore. And I thought Slater was firmly in that position for the majority of last year and this season. So for Jay to say that and for Jay to have that much confidence in Longino defensively Knee injury or not, this guy looks really, really good coming off the bench. Offensively, you've you've got to see the shot come along a little bit better. But he was, again, like I said, face guarding Dingle for the majority Mm -hmm. of the first half and kept up with him. And I think that's a really strong step and a good positive for Nova.
0: So I'm grinning as you say that because we go to some of the comments that Jay Wright had about freshmen playing and things like that. You know, think back to a year ago, Jordan Longino was the one freshman.
1: Oh, yeah. That he, he must feel play. so vindicated.
0: And the reason he did play was because defensively he did bring so much. And you already saw how solid of a defender that he can be. And I think we we saw it again today. You know, he did have the, the brutal turnover. Um, Mm -hmm. at the end of the half with gauge gave Penn an easy bucket, which you most certainly want to want to cut down on. But I do think overall he played pretty well defensively and, you know, tell me I'm reading too much into this. It was a very small comment from Jay, Wright, But I think it really does tell you the story on Jordan Longino offensively here. Longino took a three. I don't believe he made it. And, And Steve Lapis turned over to Jay and said, can he make that shot? And Jay Wright goes, yes, took a little bit of a pause when he's healthy. And it, it was a very, it's a small thing in passing. You know, how much does that mean in the length of a game with how many comments are made by these guys? But we know Jay Wright is still rather connected to this program. We've kind of questioned about Jordan Longino and his health. We know Jay knows what's going on inside Villanova. I think that tells you clear as day that Longino was still struggling with the knee problem. And it's a big part of why he really hasn't exploded offensively. And we've seen some, you know, minutes limitations and getting moved to the bench, things like that. Jordan Longino is not fully healthy. And that, that Jay Wright quote there for me, fully vindicated it though. You could also tell me I'm reading too much into a small comment in passing.
1: No, I I heard it too. I, I guess it struck me because Lapis was so doubtful when Longino took that shot. I was like, wow, Lapis really didn't want that from Longino, but I kind of agree with you. and. First of all, that we're getting this much out of Longino if he isn't healthy is a really good situation to be in. But as we kind of, if you're ready, as we kind of segue into Jay Wright's call, I was surprised by how neutral he was. And I think now hearing that, if he wasn't comfortable with Longino taking that shot, I think he would have said it. Mm. So it gives us insight into Longino's health, and it also gives us insight into yeah, Longino really, really is capable of making that shot. And maybe he can grow and develop into one of those shooters that we feel confident getting the ball kicked to and who can make the shot.
0: I do still feel bad, though, for Penn fans watching that game that had to listen to two yeah. Villanova coaches go through. it. I think that's a little rough um, for Penn. I, I, I think Jay was fine, you know, first broadcast. I thought, still think it's awkward to have him go in with Villanova with. All guys that he recruited or coached uh it's just it's a weird connection um and and i imagine he feels a little bit of that weirdness as well i think it's cool to have his insights on the uh you know on the broadcast i think it's great with the villanova connection at least for when a guy like tom mccarthy or or lapis is able to go over to him and say hey you know what what do you look for in this player or what do you see from this player because of course he's so connected to these guys he knows these guys so well um but on a overall broadcasting level, I still find it a little awkward.
1: Yeah, it's definitely weird. I also thought Lapis was a little bit too much about it, about very specific insight that he probably shouldn't have been saying. But <laughs> he's only going to get better and better as the guys that he coached leave the system. So I I actually was uh, pleasantly surprised because I thought his time with Raft and McCarthy in the booth on Saturday against Oklahoma was, was pretty uh, biased. And this one was at least a little bit better, even though... He definitely had a little bit of a love fest with Penn, but you get over
0: it. Yeah. And a lot of that probably comes down to just a, you know, comfort level with Penn. He coached yeah. against Penn for 20 plus years, you know, and, and playing them every year pretty much in the Big Five. He didn't have that against Oklahoma. So, of course, it's a little more difficult to have those sort of connections uh, with the program. So, I, I thought I understand why this would be a fit for him to, to have his, his first full game as a, as a color commentator.
1: No, I agree. All right, so kind of closing the loop here, I didn't feel like you were as negative as I thought you were going to be when you made that statement at the beginning of the show. Oh, so, I take that as a
0: compliment. Thank you. What,
1: what generally did you take away that you weren't happy with? Was, with, was it more the, the slow start and the defensive issues towards the beginning of the game that you just couldn't throw by the end?
0: Yeah, the, the copious amount of three-pointers, uh, Just mm-hmm. it, it really blows my mind um and, and frustrates me on, on often especially when they're not falling now of course milanova then got into that stretch where everything fell it's like oh this game plan's perfect well y- you saw it come back down to earth in the second half there so that that was frustrating for me and uh, in the second half especially you know letting jordan dingle hurt them in the way that they did it, it can't happen when you've got one guy out there that's really going to be able to torture i know how talented he is and he's going to score his points because he's that good but i would have liked to seen a little more focus there. In the end, I don't find this game to be super pretty, but as we've talked about, Villanova got to the foul line, which we had identified as a key on Tuesday's episode because Penn does foul so much. They turned Penn over. They found a way to hurt Penn uh, off of those turnovers, and Cam Whitmore just took over. So I I think you still leave happy. Villanova had to win this game. This was a game they could not lose. This is the type Mm -hmm. of game that, but the committee looks at in march if you drop this game and it's not it's not it's not going to be forgiving. So they had to get it done and they did. To your point, we still haven't seen the pretty Villanova b- basketball that I think we would all love to see. But now that- it it, yeah, gonna- <laughs> it <laughs> a wins a win and when you're four and five as they are right now, I don't really care. They just got to get yeah. it done.
1: And now that you've said it, who knows if this team is really going to be capable of outscoring their opponent by 30 points. I, I, I just don't, don't think know they are. if this team offensively and defensively can do that. I guess with the Dingle stuff, I was just willing to give it to him because I knew how explosive of a score he was going to be. And their three-point defense did look better than it has in any game so far. So I was at least a little bit encouraged about that. And when it comes to the other stuff, they needed this game at home. Absolutely needed it. And I think there was so much positive coming out of Cam Whitmore's experience that you leave at least a little bit happy. I do think that the Very. defensive numbers will increase and, and show a little bit of positivity in Kempom as well by the time you're listening to this.
0: Yeah, they're coming in at it has now refreshed. They're still coming at 141st in the country. So still not not good. Um, but offensively they're up to 13th which still is crazy to me that they are that high after what we've watched um, this season but a lot of it is because they don't turn the ball over and they shoot very very well from the foul line and that's very important in terms of office offensive efficiency while we know there's still room for growth in uh, many other aspects
1: yeah and on the one hand it's good that Villanova has the same issues in every single game. I mean, you can go and you can have a pretty set bingo card and know that they're going to start slow and know that other teams are going to shoot threes really well against them and know that they won't push the tempo in any sort of way, really. But on the other hand, it would be nice if they could have a really fast start and then other things (laughs) go wrong and you think, okay, at least they started really well or they start slow but they play really really good three point defense you know what i mean like it'd be nice if it w- was just a little different so we could talk about different things but no and pretty much every loss they've had so se- so far this season or any s- bad stretch of play that they've had it's been because of the same three reasons. And I think we've we've made that very clear.
0: Emma's just looking for some new material here. For yeah, us, exactly. <laughs> Luckily, Cam Kim, Kim Whitmore was able to give us that. And, and that's where you come away. I think Nova Nation, it, it, we want to be excited about this one. You should be excited about it. Mm-hmm. Just what we're seeing with Cam Whitmore has the potential to, Jay Wright called him a the potential to be a villain Villanova legend, which is coming from Jay Wright. That's very strong for a guy that's played two games and is going to only be here through uh, the end of March or, or April. Um, At- uh, yeah, well, it's true, as much as we'd all love to not say it. But that's what gets you pumped, is that uh, Emma had mentioned it earlier. Villanova's 2-0 and since Cam Whitmore came back. He has clearly added a... Desperately needed element to this team on offense as someone that can go get a bucket when they need it, which is something Nova had really struggled with at times leading up to it. And I think that makes you feel really, really good with two more opportunities coming up in Boston College and St. Joe's for Villanova to continue to work out the kinks, kind of find out what lineups work best for them, as well as minutes distributions, and really try and hit that ground running as we go into 12 21 against St. John's.
1: Excellent segue. I think it's time to get into some quick
0: bc preview very quick
1: so bc on saturday five o'clock it's a fox game bc is five and five they're ninth in the acc ahead of only the one and nine fsu team and the O and eight louisville team and i did only say that so i could say louisville was on eight
0: thank you i appreciate Uh, that you know how much i love us
1: neither of us have a ton on bc they've had they've hung tight on some teams so far this season they had a 75 to 59 loss to duke and 88 to 67 loss to nebraska so i actually think that's a generous statement by me they didn't hang too close on you're being very nice to them right now (laughs) my my only point on bc for something that villanova has to take into account is that this team has had 10 games they're five and five they've had a different leading score in seven of those 10 games so they have a lot of different options, completely opposite to what they just faced in Penn when it was Jordan Dingle or nothing. This <laughs> team has a lot of avenues, so all five defensive players on the floor are, are going to have to step it up if they want to beat BC.
0: This is a good matchup for Villanova. They they match up well with Boston College, add in the fact it's a neutral site game. I, I'm sure Nova Nation will be at the Prudential Center on Saturday. Uh, which I'll be excited to watch that one for. But you know, to your point on BC, they have losses to Maine uh, and New Hampshire, two teams ranked in the 300s in Ken Palm uh, rankings. They also have a loss to Tarleton State, which I have never heard of in my life, and apparently <laughs> it is in either. Texas. Um, so <laughs> that kind of gives you some of, some of the information around them. Their best win thus far this season, at least according to Ken Palm, is against George Mason. So things haven't been great. Um, for the, the Eagles thus far this season, uh, there is the familiar name in Ash and Langford, of course, coming over from Providence. He did miss that last game against New Hampshire, so it'll be interesting to watch his status if he's out there against Villanova. I'm sure personally he would love to be out there and play an old Big East rival here. But why I say this is a really good matchup for Nova this is a very poor offensive basketball team. They are not very efficient. They do not make many shots, and most importantly, they are horrible from three. Not not bad, not inconsistent, horrible. They shoot 27% from three. We have talked a lot about Villanova struggles from Beyond the Arc, how statistically this team is one of you know the the, the worst Villanova three-point shooting teams of the last 20 years they're still coming in at 32% now uh, after this game. So think about that. BC's at 27. It's not pretty uh, up there in Chestnut Hill at the moment. This is another game that, quite simply, Villanova just has to win because they are more talented than BC. They are more put together, and they have to take advantage of playing weaker ACC, man, that felt good to say, uh, opponent.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well said, uh, I was thinking about starting off with this, but I held back because I didn't want to make too bold of a statement right away. Does Cam start against BC?
0: No, I think he sticks with the current Interesting.
1: lineup. Interesting. I think he's going to start.
0: I'd love it if he starts. I just I think he sticks with what's working right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's see those three point defense numbers tick up. Let's Please. see that fast start happen. Let's see the offensive rebounding get better. That was also a little bit of a weakness against Penn. Yeah, hopefully this is the dominant game. We're penciling it in, folks. This is it.
0: We hope so. And even if it's not the dominant game again, I Villanova's in a position right now where they just need to win. They need yeah. to get that record, you know, straightened out. They need to get to over 500 heading into conference play. And this is certainly an opportunity for that. I it's not dismissive Of Boston College in any way they defend, uh, you know, decently, they can hurt you, they do have their freshman that we talked about on our preseason show uh, Prince of which I probably got the the last name wrong, Uh, but he has missed some time this year, but he did come back in their last game against New Hampshire and I believe he featured for like uh, around 20 minutes off the bench for them put in 10 points, very athletic, you know, very talented kind of wing type player, six, seven, similar to the the Cam Whitmore build there. So I don't want you to think that, oh, BC has absolutely no chance. This is not a Delaware state though. We know how the Delaware state game uh, ended up being, but most certainly this is a game Villanova should win and should be able to exploit a team that has some pretty clear deficiencies.
1: Yeah. And it should be a cool atmosphere at the Prudential center. I, I think Villanova can and should win this game by 15 plus. I'm hoping that's the outcome, and I really do. I mean, we've talked about all the other things, three-point defense, all of that. I think a fast start has to be the main Hmm. priority in practice this week so that they can bring that out on Saturday. Has to be.
0: And I want to see Villanova really lock down the paint. BC shoots 6D percent of their shots from two the, as we said this is not a good three-point shooting team and at least they kind of acknowledge that by uh by taking so many of their shots from in deep so what's important there you need eric dixon to stay out of foul trouble and i think you're going to need some physical games out of your longinos your daniels and your slaters to really try and cut down on angles and, and force turnovers where they can and not allow easy buckets around the rim
1: sweet so that leaves us with the best part of the thursday episodes, which is the mailbag and we're going to do something different this week. And that I'm going to pose some questions to you, Pat. Oh my God, I'm scared. How do we feel about that? It's been like a year plus since this has happened. But
0: <laughs> Let's this do will be it. good.
1: All right. So we have a few questions from David Letts. Thank you for the questions, David. The first one, he asked for three. I think we're both going to just go with one in terms of time here. But now that Whitmore is back, can you give one attribute and one challenge that the team is struggling with now that Cam is back.
0: Uh, my So top attribute for the team then? Yeah. Top attribute is still free throw shooting uh, for this team. And I, I Whitmore I think has shown it as well that he can go to the line and knock them down, especially as Nova struggles to – you know, hit some of those outside jumpers, it's so paramount for this team to A, get in the lane, B, get fouled, and C, make those foul shots. We know Villanova set the all-time record a year ago for highest free throw um, percentage in a season. What are they doing right now? They are currently sitting at 82%, which is one percentage point below what they shot from a year ago. And it is so key. Deficiency-wise, I'm not even going to go into it, but it is still three-point shooting for me as well as (laughs) three-point defending, and we'll leave it at that.
1: Just three-point in general. Jay would also not give a clear answer to Lap about his uh, free-throw shooting insight. That was interesting. That was funny. But he was was very proud of it. Yeah, the attribute for me, I think uh, free-throw shooting is a big one. That was David's number two. His first was uh, Whitmore, Daniels, and Dixon being able to create inside and outside. I think it's just explosiveness to the rim. It's rare that you can see three or four guys that can go to the rim. I throw Armstrong in there too, as strongly as these current guys on the roster can. And it once, and when it comes to challenge, I think this is the prototypical uh, blessing and curse thing. It's it's going to be on Neptune to find the perfect balance when it comes to the rotation, because I definitely felt like there are points during the pen game where. He stuck with the starting five sub in Longino instead of Armstrong. Cam was on the bench. Maybe there were times when Armstrong could should have come in, where Art should have sat, where Longino looked tired, and Slater should have come in. So it's going to be interesting just fine-tuning the rotation where it's at the perfect point where everybody is getting the most out of what they can bring to the floor.
0: Definitely still tinkering.
1: Yeah. So I thought that was a great question. We're going to move to Matt Plusnick who this is very, very special to me. Matt (laughs) Plusnick was my orientation counselor at Villanova my freshman year. He was absolutely wonderful. means so much to me that he reached out and sent us some questions for the pod. Thank you again for listening. So the first one, he said, obviously love the energy and quick boost housing gives us, but given his defensive liabilities thus far, how many minutes and in what scenario should we be working with him until he builds up his defensive game
0: path? Uh, First off, shout out to all the Villanova OCs out there who do such a, you know, a wonderful job of bringing in the freshmen and really getting them acclimated to campus. And uh, you give me an opportunity to shout out mine, Rachel Rivera, who was awesome uh, for me uh, back in our freshman year. Um, But for Housen, I want him out there on the floor because he just provides something so different. We just talked about how three-point shooting is an issue. Three-point shooting is not an issue for Mr. Brendan Housen, as we have seen multiple times already this season. Super quick trigger, you know, of course, not really an ability to create his own shot, though there's certainly not confidence issues to put that ball up, even if it is a contested three there. Defensively, I actually don't think things have been horrible while he's been out there. Kyle Neptune was even quoted saying he's been impressed with what he's seen from Brendan Hausen, and I believe that's why you're seeing him out there on the floor and being able to, to create some shots. So there is a role for him to carve out I don't know, between five and probably eight minutes a game where there's an additional shooter you can have on the floor and they shouldn't get killed on the defensive side, at least for what we've seen so far.
1: No, I actually think it's really important going into everything exactly the way you said. There's going to be a point down the season where Villanova needs to win a game by making a three and Hausen's going to be out there. Hmm. And I think we can grow confident with that. It's an interesting distinction you made about him not having a great ability to make his own shot, but he also throws a bunch of shots up. What I'd like to see then is just more play design on his behalf out of timeouts that housing play that three from the corner from the timeout is still just burned into my brain. And I want to see that every single time. So (laughs) that's definitely something interesting to watch shifting to another freshman. We did mention this, but we can just kind of close the loop on it. Injuries notwithstanding, have we seen the last meaningful minutes of Brizzy for this season and maybe even in his Villanova career? I really hope not. And I don't think so. I think it'll just be on Neptune to again, Fine tune the rotation and figure out where Brizzy slots in there.
0: Definitely not Villanova career. He's a redshirt freshman with a long way ahead of him. And I think we will see Angelo Brizzy feature for this program and, and really grow into it. If you want to go with major minutes as your measuring stick, then potentially we, we might have seen the last of that. But I do think you'll see Angelo Brizzy out there on the floor um, from time to time.
1: Agreed. And you also have to think it's hard to see the roof falling down at the beginning of the season with the two and five record. Villanova started with two of their stars on the bench. So obviously you're going to see more bench players get time because they just need to fill two bodies that would have been otherwise filled by more and Whitmore. but otherwise totally agree. And then Matt's last question, he's kind of going into Jerry's vibe here with a third fun question. <laughs> he, he said, you're buying a number two Villanova Jersey. Are you going with Jenkins or Gillespie? And he said he's an oldie and his answer is actually Randy Foy, which is a great pick.
0: It is a great pick. Um, I still, uh, I go with Mark Armstrong in all honesty. No, Um, I will. Oh go... my God. I thought you being serious for a second.
1: That's not too crazy for you. You are me, captain right? of that train. Yeah. I
0: I, I do love me some so Mark Armstrong, but uh, for me, it's, it is Colin Gillespie. Now I understand in terms of legendary moments, Chris Jenkins going to be right up there with uh, I'll go with it. The, you know, the greatest shot in college basketball history, uh, most certainly the greatest shot in Villanova history. But Colin Gillespie goes down as, and we kind of had this discussion towards the end of last year, one of the best players to ever play at Villanova for everything he was able to do, develop on, off the court, everything that goes into it. So give me Colin Gillespie.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. Is Jalen Brunson still the only jersey that you have in your possession though?
0: Jalen Brunson is my idol. And yes, he is my, uh, he is the only, uh, you got a Knicks jersey for him. I do not, though. I did think about getting a Nick jersey for him um, because I got a support.
1: Yeah, that would be a great Christmas gift for you, actually. I would also say Gillespie. And my only Villanova jersey is actually a Josh Hart, number three.
0: I I had a Josh Hart. I had a three. Yeah. So it, I guess big it's a big year purchase. jersey now. Um, but yeah, I think actually <laughs> yeah. I got that freshman year too now that I think about <laughs> it. <But>. Awesome.
1: <laughs> all right we've got three more from jerry i gotta shift it off to you pat do you have those in front of you
0: i do um we kind of hit on the first one so i think we can skip over because it's about housing and we went through that question two coming in from jerry were coaches ready for the changes that both nil and the portal have brought to college sports
1: very interesting question because that was something that jay was pretty transparent in talking about that he wasn't ready for that transition um Personally, when I'm watching the product on the floor, I'm not really thinking about NIL. Um, I think Transfer Portal has completely changed the landscape of college basketball, and that's something you can't help but think about just because it seems like every single time we're previewing a team, I'm spending half the time researching (laughs) where guys used to play in their college career. But when it comes to NIL, I don't know, I'm not super locked in on the effects of that, are you?
0: Yeah, I... As we go with it first, I think it's massive um, in in college basketball, just basically that recruitment has been opened up to a point of who can get me deals uh, to make a ton of money. Uh, If we go on to the football side of things, you know, that's Texas A&M has had, you know, the top or towards the top recruiting class the last couple year or the last two years, really. And a lot of that has gone into NIL um, for that. They're able to secure lots and lots of money for these players Um, for the question of were these coaches ready? No, I don't think so. And why I don't think so is because the NCAA so miserably mishandled this. Where, of course, even if you bought you know a player a stick of gum just a couple years ago, that was a violation and could be a major violation. And then it became the wild west. Yeah, and they never set there, the there was no transition. There was no period where we we're going to start to wade into this. No, it was just all rules gone. Here we go. So I, I don't think anyone was ready for NIL transfer portal, very similarly as well. I think that one we could have kind of seen coming a little bit more, but still we know how fundamentally it's changed the sport where guys, you know, if they're not happy after a year, they'll just leave now. And there is no consequence of having to sit out. So why not, you know, evaluate your options for a lot of these guys. It, both of these have fundamentally changed college athletics as we know it, and they're going to continue to play a massive role in the sports we love.
1: Yeah, and who knows the frequency in which professional players now request trades mid-year. Who knows if that's even in the future of college basketball. (laughs) You never know. I hope not, but you never know.
0: (laughs) Last question coming in from Jerry, how we'll close out today. Who is the hardest person in your family to buy a Christmas gift for and why?
1: Yeah, this is a really good question. I I had to think about it a little bit. I feel like everyone's go-to answer right off the top of their head is their dad. I'm not going to do that, though, because I can usually get my dad a book or a shirt or a hat or a nice card, and, and he really feels appreciated by that. But my mom, I try so hard to think of something original and thoughtful and intentional and something that she can really use, and I struggle. Because normally she just has all of the stuff that she wants or needs. So... I'm struggling this year, but I, I'm vowing to get a really, really good gift for my mom. How about you?
0: I give you the same answer that i I definitely struggle with uh, with my mom for because my mom is just very happy to be home with our dog. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that is where where she is most happy. Um, so trying to to build off of that can be tricky for gifts. I've actually spent the last couple of days trying to cross as many people off my list as possible yeah, for getting too. gifts. Can't say I've crossed that one off yet, so we're still yeah. we're still working on it.
1: Good proactivity, though. Get, get ahead sh- of it. Don't I'm, let it I'm be the 20th of shipping. December.
0: Yeah, there are yeah. too many shipping things that I've been burned with in the past. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a great question, though, and it's time. We are already December 8th this episode is going to come out, which is crazy to me.
0: Uh, it's flying by already. I, as we've yep. been saying, we're going to be in Big East play before we know it. Wild, but so exciting. It really is, but I, I think we, we feel good coming out of this one important win uh, while not everything is clicking on all cylinders. Cam Whitmore is getting close to clicking on yeah. all cylinders, and I think that excites everyone.
1: Totally agree. Fun game uh, to watch in terms of just feeling good about the team.
0: Absolutely. And welcome, Jay Wright, to CBS Sports. Oh, yeah. All right, then. That'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VU all season long for plenty of content to keep you up to date on the Cats. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe to the show on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N pod. Hope everyone has a phenomenal weekend. Enjoy the great sports weekend, by the way. We've got World Cup, we've got Army-Navy, Nova BC on Saturday, and a full NFL Sunday. This is going to be great. We will talk to you on Tuesday. And Nova Nation, that's a wrap.